We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 32 and also at some passages in Genesis chapter 33 uh, tonight at a message I call the power of a limp. Uh, Genesis 32 and 31 says, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. From Jacob uh, to Israel is our Sunday night series. We've been looking at how God was working in Jacob's life, and we kind of have adopted the general theme is that when God saves us, he saves us just as we are. That's how we come to God, just like we are. And aren't you glad tonight that God receives us just as we are? God loves us. And so he receives us just like we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. He works to change us. And, and Jacob's story, in that sense, is our story. Because it is the way that God worked in Jacob's life to change him from Jacob. And remember, that name means trickster. Uh, one who's kind of what we'd call a con man. Uh, a person who lives by his wits, who takes advantage of others. And uh, that, was, that was Jacob. And uh, God accepted Jacob as Jacob. But he's going to change him to Israel. And in Hebrew, that means a prince, that man who uh, has the power with God and with man and who prevails. Now, a few weeks ago when we looked in this passage, we saw that battle, that epic battle that took place where Jacob wrestled with the Jehovah angel, the angel of the Lord, all night long. And somewhere in the night, the scene changed because Jacob was no doubt beginning that fight thinking that I, I've just got to get out of this. I've got to get away. But uh, as they got close to the morning, the angel said, let me go. And now we find that Jacob is no longer fighting to get away, but he's holding on. I will not let go until you bless me. And he was fighting God, bottom line. He was fighting against the blessings that God longed to give him. And that's always the case. Uh, when we're fighting God, we're fighting against the greatest blessings that we can ever get in our life. God wants to bless us. He longs to bless us. And as we looked at this a few weeks ago, we learned that our biggest struggles are with God and not with the, not with the devil. We learned that sometimes we have a hard time recognizing whether we're fighting with God or whether we're fighting the devil or whether we're fighting ourselves. I mean, is this a subdue the flesh kind of moment? Is it a get behind me Satan kind of moment? Uh, I mean, who exactly is my opponent in this case? Uh, now, uh, we might think that the angel had just kind of happened upon Jacob and decided to jump up on him because after all, he ends up asking him, what is your name? Remember that? What is your name? Uh, do you think he had just gone out that night and decided, I'm going to find somebody and just whoop them? I mean, I'm going to jump on them and we're going to have it out. Uh, no, it wasn't, God didn't send him out with a to whom it may concern kind of message. Uh, he obviously knew who he was dealing with. So when he asked him what his name was, of course, it was Jacob. Who needed to say that? Remember the last time somebody asked him, what was your name? That's recorded for us in scripture. He had said, my name is Esau. My name is Esau. Now he's telling the truth. My name is Jacob. And when he was willing to admit that and own up to that and all that that meant and what a night he had spent fighting, 
to get to that point. Once he admitted that, then the Lord gave him the blessing that he longed for. But he also gave him a limp. He got the blessing, but he also got the limp. And that limp was something that he would carry throughout the rest of his life. Every step he would take for the rest of his life, he would remember the night that he fought God. And God broke him in order to bless him. All the way to the end of his life, you'll find him leaning on that staff that was his constant companion. He got the power of God. That's what he asked for. And he got it. But he also got the burden of walking with a limp. But tonight, we want to settle down a little bit on what it means. When we are fighting with God, we're fighting against our greatest blessings. And, and that's exactly what was going on here in this occasion as Jacob was fighting with the Lord and fighting with him all, all night long. I remember that uh, Jacob had separated his family into two groups. And uh, he had sent uh, the, uh, fam the, the children uh, of Rachel over here, and they were no doubt in the back. And, and, and here was Leah and all her family and the handmaidens. They were all over here. And he, that's uh, why he called the name of that place Two Companies or Two Troops. There he was fighting there in the darkness. But even though he was fighting, he was still in a way... Uh, trying to be just Jacob. He was still seeing that uh, play out in all of his life, uh, that he was struggling and he was fighting uh, with the Lord, fighting against those blessings. But now tonight, we see this great passage. As he crossed over Penuel, he limped on his hip. And Genesis chapter 32 and verse 30 would tell us that... Uh, uh, he was marveling. He called the name of that place Penuel because he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. So we're going to draw a little bit, of, a few insights tonight from that great passage and our understanding of that passage. And this is the first one that we're going to see as we look at that battle uh, within that general purview of our greatest battles being with God. Uh, let's understand then tonight that uh, uh, sometimes in those long, dark nights, when the struggle goes on and on and on, we're going to see some very face-to-face -face kind of encounters with God. I mean by that tonight, not that we're going to literally see God's face. I don't think that had happened here. Obviously, God had told Moses, no man can see my face and live. We understand that. Uh, Jacob did not know that. That was revelation that came later, uh, many, many years later before God would reveal that to him. But we also know that he was fighting with the Jehovah angel, which was an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, it is Jesus Christ that places God on a, on a level that we can reach and interact with. And so in a way, though he was fighting with the Jehovah angel, in a way he was fighting literally with the Lord, that physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament. And so in a way, what he says was right. I've seen the Lord face to face. And wonder of wonders, <laughs> he didn't kill me. Yet my life is preserved. Now, I don't mind telling you tonight, I've, I've had some great encounters with the Lord over the course of my life when uh, 
uh, we've been in services just like this. I've had some great experiences with God right here in Faith Baptist Church. And uh, if it's not in church, when I'm talking about some great encounters that I've had with God, uh, it's going to be at other places like Bog Springs or Bud Creek Camp or, or places where uh, the, the Word of God is being preached and songs are being sung and, and we experience Him in a very personal and a very powerful way. I don't want to do anything to minimize that tonight because that is very real. There's no uh, exception on the end of that. Some of the greatest experiences that we'll ever have with God in our life are when we gather together as the people of God to worship Him and to hear His Word proclaimed. Whether it's in church or in a church-like setting at Bug Creek Camp or other places, we are going to have some incredible experiences with God, and rightly so. Jesus promised us where two or three of you gather together in my name, there will I be in the midst of you. Jesus is going to keep that promise to us tonight, and he does. While that is true, it is also true that some of the great revelations that we'll ever learn in our own life about God's character and how he loves me and how he is working in my life may not come in church. And in fact, they may come in those long, dark times of struggle and battle and pain. Can you imagine that dark night where they fought all night? Part of me wants to approach that very soberly. And the other part of me wants to think about that old Jerry Clower uh, coon hunting story. And uh, for those of you who are a couple of generations younger than me, you have no idea who Jerry Clower is or what the coon hunting story is. So I suggest uh, that you just get on Google and put in the expression, knock him out, John. Knock him out, John. All right. Put it on there. Listen, it'll bring you up that video of Jerry Clower telling the coon hunting story. And then you can thank me later. <laughs> Say, man, that was hilarious. Some of you ladies will listen to that and say, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it at all. Oh, it is hilarious. Uh, of course, that was a story. Shoot up in here amongst us. One of us has got to have some relief. I mean, all night long they're fighting. And, and you just think, you know, sooner or later, somebody. After fighting all night, the angel says, let me go. And you might think, okay, I'll let him go. But not Jacob. No, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He had figured out somewhere during the course of that night who he was dealing with. He knew God did not pick on him indiscriminately. He knew there was a blessing in this battle. And he was determined to hold on until he got it. Aren't you glad he did? Remember, this is rather unusual, not completely unusual thing, but rather unusual in Scripture for us to see people having to battle for their blessings. I mean, normally the very idea, I'm going to bless you, means that those blessings are just conferred upon us. Somebody gives us something. Somebody shows us something by favor, by grace, something undeserved, something that's just given to us, conferred upon us. I'm going to bless you. But it's not completely unusual for God to approach people with a blessing that they're going to have to battle for. 
And in fact, in this passage, we get a clue that Jacob, you see, was being used as an example for his great, 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 great grandchildren, yet unborn. And we know that because Moses adds that little tidbit when he writes the story right at the end. Oh, by the way, the children of Israel will never eat from that part of the thigh of any animal. They're not going to eat of that part on the hip because that's where the angel touched Jacob's thigh. Every time those people, I mean, listen, they didn't go to Walmart. If they needed meat, they went out and killed a calf or they killed a goat or killed something. And there they are out there butchering their cattle. And the father teaches son, no, we can't cut that part. Why, Dad? A lot of good meat there. No, can't do that. Why not? Well, because your great-great-great-grandpa Jacob fought with an angel one day and he popped him on the thigh. Why was he fighting with the angel? Because God wanted to bless him. Oh. So sometimes we have to battle for our blessings. The children of Israel did, remember? I'm going to give you, God said, a land flowing with milk and honey. Down in the fine print it said, by the way, there's giants in the land and you're going to have to whoop them all. You're going to have to fight them for it. It was a blessing. Indeed, it was. But it was a blessing that they were going to have to battle for. It's not always that way. But it was for them. And in this case, we know that Jacob was being used as an example to them because of that ceremonial uh, aspect of this that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. You can't eat of this part of any animal. Can't do it. So there in the darkness as the fight goes on and on and on and Jacob is battling and finally uh, he he is broken. He learns then about the character of God and we know he did because when he came away from that place limping though he was he came away marveling saying that I've seen the Lord face to face he knew it and amazingly he had learned that God was a God of grace he didn't kill me we notice then also in, in looking through the battle that this fight was fixed I mean, don't you know that since he's fighting with the Lord, that the Lord could have gotten free of Jacob any time he wanted to? Uh, I mean, he had the, God has the power. And the very fact that he was willing to spend so much time, as we would reckon time, a whole night to fight with him until finally he gets the point and he stopped fighting to try to get away, and now he is fighting to hang on. And that tells us something. You see, if, if God had just wanted to kill Jacob, he could accomplish that real easily. If he just wanted to move on him in judgment and wipe him out, do you honestly think he would have had to fight all night to do that? Huh? No, of course not. This was the battle to change him. Do we ever stop and think about how gracious and how loving God is? that he puts up with all of our resistance when all he wants to do is change us and make our life better, when what he wants to do is help us, what he wants to do is bless us, 
What he wants to do is save us, not kill us. Killing us is easy. But God told us, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn to me and live, he said. All God's going to do is move in judgment. If he's just out to kill us, that can easily be accomplished. It's the changing us. The changing us. Sometimes, though, we're fighting him every step of the way. I could give you tonight my own personal example of fighting with the Lord over the course of my life. I could call up a lot of experiences, not going to. Did that too much already this morning, probably. But uh, the fact is, I think you have some just like I have some. I think we can identify with some long, hard, difficult battles that we have had with the Lord. When he was gracious to us and patient with us, when he could have much easier just turned us back to the dust. But he didn't because he changed us. And so he's, he's learning then uh, deeply about God's character. He's learning about God being a God of grace and mercy and a God of great patience and love to move in our lives the way that he does to continue to change us and make us what he wants us to be. Most good stories end with a happily ever after part. And we might think that this is a happy ever after kind of story. Uh, but I, but I, I can't tell you that it's all going to end well or it's all going to go well. The Christian life, you see, is, is not a story. Though there are times when we might have that all-night battle with God and, and we come away changed when God has broken us to bless us and we can say, I'll never walk the same way again. And it'd be absolutely true. I'll never be the same. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still battles to be fought. We find out as we go on through life that Jacob has some really deep roots in us, doesn't he? We think that we've got him off the surface, but then find out that there's more of him down deeper. We see that happening a lot over the course of Jacob's life, and that'll be the subject of messages yet to come. But tonight I've got a couple of passages and bring them up for us here in, in Genesis chapter 33. And uh, uh, I'll get down here and get my glasses. Uh, sorry, my uh, PowerPoint of my uh, uh, iPad is messed up tonight. Uh, so I'll have to read it from the big screen. There we go. I should have just turned around. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. Now, you remember tonight that this was the, the, the essence of, of why Jacob was stressing so much because he had heard that Esau was coming with 400 men. And remember the last thing that he had heard from Esau was as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill you. And so he was absolutely convinced that Esau was bringing his army, his own personal army, 400 men, and they were coming to wipe him out. That's what he was convinced of. Remember how that he sent offerings? He sent all of these. He sent his herdsmen, picked out all these, uh, all these cattle, all the sheep. 
he, he sent him a fortune. And so when Esau was coming, he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids, and he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost, still Jacob. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times. This is when he met Esau until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him. And he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. <laughs> Remember, these boys were twins. They could not have been more different. Esau was a hairy, red-headed guy that loved to hunt. Interestingly, the Bible never gives us a record of a single lie that Esau ever told. Not a one. Everything we find out about Esau would give us the idea that Esau was a pretty good guy. He liked to deer hunt. He liked to bow hunt. He can't be all bad. Amen? I mean, he's a pretty good guy. Jacob was dark-complected, no doubt took after his mother, uh, very dark-complected, where Esau was very light-complected, red-haired, hairy, red hair. Esau means red hairy, uh, red guy. That was Esau. Esau loved to hunt, loved the fields, loved to be outdoors. Uh, Jacob was a shepherd and loved all about uh, knowing about business and numbers, and none of those things mattered at all to Esau. They were so different. But there was another big difference between those two boys. The Bible never records a single spiritual thought that Esau ever had except contempt. He despised the birthright which made him the spiritual leader of his family. How much did he despise that? He sold the right to be that person to his brother for a bowl of beans. Bowl of beans meant nothing to him. Esau didn't have any thoughts whatsoever, nothing that's ever recorded in Scripture throughout his whole life would indicate that he was a person of faith or ever became a believer. On the other hand, his brother Jacob did see visions of God. He did think of God. He did make commitments and, and uh, uh, made his way with, with the Lord. He, he did understand the things of God. He did have a relationship with God. Not surprising then, no records ever told of God changing Esau. Esau just kept being Esau. Good guy. Good old boy. Loved to hunt. Honest as the day is long, probably do anything for you, they'd probably say of a guy like Esau. He went through life unchanged. God never changed him. While God is changing Jacob. But here in this amazing moment, those two boys are brought back together for this one chapter in Scripture. After they hugged and embraced, Esau had a question that he asked his brother. <laughs> what was all that stuff you sent? 
Why did you send all that cattle, all those sheep, all those? Why, what, why did you send all that stuff? What were you thinking, brother? I'm just coming out here to meet you, to give you a safe passage, to get you home safe. Why did you send me all that stuff? I don't need your stuff. He said, I've got plenty of stuff. I don't need your animals. Take them back. Uh, but Jacob insisted. He said, no, God, these are the things that they've blessed me with. And God has blessed me in the house of, 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 of Laban. God has blessed me. So you take it. And he insisted. And Esau did take it. <laughs> the next question he asked him, who's all them folks? Who are all these people? Well, these are all your nephews, brother. Uh, you never met them. These are my wives and my nephews. And uh, what a great group of people that have come back now together. And they had that time then of just rehearsing over the things that were happening and Esau would even invite him to go with him. Here, I'll travel along with you. And I've come out here to meet you so we could get you back home. But, but Jacob would refuse that. No, no, I'm not going to go with you. Uh, uh, we've got too many small children, too many small cattle. We have to move very uh, carefully, very quietly. We're not going to go home with you. And so the Bible says that Esau would go to his place, which was in Mount Seir. And Jacob would end up in Shechem. And the interesting thing is that the Bible only records one other time when they ever got together. And that's in Genesis 35. Bring that up for us. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Genesis 35 and 29. In a way, that's a good end of the story as well. At least they were able to come together and bury their dad. Uh, that does speak well for how they were able to do things. And, and that's a good thing when they were able to do that. But as far as we know, they never got back together again. Genesis 36, 6 says, Esau took his wives and his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all his beasts and all his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. Notice, for their riches were more than that they might dwell together. Esau had been blessed too, guys. God had blessed Jacob, yes, but Esau, Esau was blessed too. The land wherein there were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau, the Bible says, is Edom. Remember Moses is writing this generations down the line from when all this transpired. And it was important for those children of Israel coming out of Egypt into the promised land, it was important for them to know who the Edomites were. And the people of Edom, and that was the nation that, that bore the name of, uh, that was the name of Esau's descendants. Esau, he said, is Edom. The Edomites, as a people, were never known for their devotion to God, just the opposite. They followed the ways of Esau. And it would pass on them for generations and generations and generations. 
How much so? Come all the way up into the New Testament and you'll study a line of kings known as the Herods. The Herods were Edomites. They were descendants of Esau. By that time, the Romans had rather more or less included them all together, and I'm sure the Romans thought it was cute to take an Edomite and set him on the king of it, make him the king of Israel. But you see, you see how they felt about God and God's plans and God's purposes play out with the Herods. Esau, Esau is Edom. And you kind of see then how this whole thing plays out as God is, is changing Esau and, and or, or changing Jacob, not changing Esau. Jacob is becoming more and more like the Lord. Esau is never changing. He's just going right out like he was and continuing life as he was. He had made his own way maybe perhaps, but perhaps he had been blessed too as a son of Isaac. After all, Isaac did bless him too. <laughs> Go back and read the story. Remember Esau crying out, Is there no more blessing for me, Father? Bless me too. And he was blessed. And he's blessed. He's blessed. Jacob was blessed too. But Jacob was changed. Esau wasn't. And the end result of that is, is that the division that you see play out in this passage was inevitable. It was going to happen. Jacob would become more and more of what God wanted him to be. Jacob would be changed more and more into a man of God. Esau would be turned uh, more and more then toward the things of the world. And as Jacob would become more like God, his brother then would just be further and farther away. I wish tonight, you see, I could say that this story had a completely happy ending. That uh, Jacob and Esau embraced, they wept on each other's neck, they forgave each other, and they lived happily ever after. That's not the story. The story is that Esau left and Jacob said, I'll come see you in Mount Seir. But he never did. If he ever did, the Bible doesn't record it. They got together and buried their father. That was it. Esau went his way. Jacob went his way. And perhaps we can learn this one last ex uh, thought from this example, and that is that um, we make choices sometimes, and those choices have consequences. And though God changes us, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in our life is going to be fixed the way we want it fixed. And so in those long battles, when our toughest battles are with God, when we're fighting with God all night and, and we're battling with God and God is battling to change us and to remake us, let's learn that in those experiences, those long difficult times where we're struggling and maybe struggling with God and what's going on, let's understand that sometimes in those nights, God is going to show us his character. We'll see God face to face. We'll get an up close and personal look of God working in our life. Because he loves us and he doesn't give up on his purposes and he stays with us. Even though we're fighting him and kicking against everything he's trying to do, he still works. And what a great, great picture of his character. We learn then that God is not going to abandon his purposes. 
We don't always, we're not always able to recognize maybe what it is that is going on or how this is playing out for us. And sometimes it's not all just about us. Sometimes in the midst of those long, dark nights of battle, God may do something in your life that he's going to use to bless your great-grandchildren down the line. No way you could know that. <laughs> but your God knows that. And the choices that we make so clearly identified for us. We want to be the Jacob that though we battle with God, God is changing us. We don't want to be the Esau. He doesn't have anything for God. And that God is never going to change. Because those two possibilities grow wider and wider and wider apart as life goes on.